Well, hello everyone. I'm Reverend Carla. Welcome to Spirituality Matters. And now I invite you to settle in and let's find that sacred space between here where I am and there where you are. And let us be reminded that the Holy transcends our physical bodies and our time together is just as meaningful and sacred as if we were sitting beside one another. Okay, let's get started. I have a very special guest and a very dear friend, even though we've never met in person. This is Pastor Paul Swearingen, and he is an all-around YouTuber, TikToker, podcaster, and what I consider what my favorite pastor in the social media platform. So, Pastor Paul, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, I'm honored, and, and, and what a joy. And you're, you're one of my favorites, for sure. And I think you're just blowing me up to say I'm your favorite. There's so many oh. good pastors in our space <laughs> out there. But, but you were kind of the original one I, I spotted and started following on TikTok. So you've had a real impact on my life. And it's an honor to talk to you today. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. And I, I do agree with you that there's so many of us. It's, it's like we have created this our own little community of uh pastor TikTokers. And I, I just be, I'm honored to be included in that space with you because I am a little bit of an outlier in some ways, but each one of us is, and I, and I, that's what I'd like to do now is for you to share your story from the time when you were an evangelical and how you ended up as one of the awesome TikTok pastors. <laughs> oh, sure, Carla. Thank you. I, you know, I grew up in a household where my dad was an evangelical pastor and I always sort of make the joke of a right-wing evangelical conservative family where Ronald Reagan and God were sort of neck and neck as the greatest beings that ever existed in the universe. And, and so grew up very conservative and uh, very, very evangelical, uh, Pentecostal, tongue-speaking kind of crazy, uh, uh, last days rapture is going to happen any moment and you don't want to be left behind kind of a growth and uh, growing up. And um, that kind of led into what I call my pagan years when I rebelled in college and, and kind of rejected religion, then came back around as I got married. Uh, my wife's parents were, were pastors and they had planted a church. And so we were very active in that church. And ultimately, uh, I was a sportscaster out of college and, and did sports casting for many years and sports talk on radio and loved it, but always sort of had this sense in the back of my spirit somewhere that, that God wanted me to pastor a church. And, and that sort of came about during our marriage time. And, and so I, we were going to a, a vineyard church at the time, if you know the Vineyard Association mm -hmm. of Churches. And so I went through their pastoral seminary training program. And uh, in 2008, planted a church here in Fresno, California, where we live, um, and just had this vision of, of building a different kind of church. Because even in the early 2000s, during the, the GW Bush administration, I started to see like, there's something wrong. This, this republicanism that's wrapped and entangled into our evangelical religious belief system, there's something not right about it. I thought it was mostly benign, but I just was discovering like, oh, I think we're supposed to be about changing, uh, bringing justice into our cities and equality and opportunity to people in our cities, rather than just winning souls and trying to ban abortion. Um, and, and that became something that really started to prevail in the lives of my wife and I, and led me to plant a church and her to run for mayor of our city. And, and the interesting thing was that we wanted to see our city change. Fresno is a very impoverished city. It's a very conservative Christian city in the middle of, of you know, California, which is as, as lefty lib as it can get. And, and we kept saying, 
okay, how do we see God's spirit change the poverty and the inequality? And we're one of the most racially divided cities in the country. And we were like, how can our faith changed that. And as we started to pursue that change, we started to recognize that the people that agreed with us that goodness should change these things in our city weren't Christian. Like the Christians actually were against the things that could break down racial divides and, and poverty divides and urban sprawl and bad air and all the things that, that impacted our city so negatively. And we just started asking ourselves, how can Christians be against these things? And we realized that Christians had made this bargain. We're going to be Republican. We'll be against abortion. We'll be against taxes. And as long as we're trying to get people to say the sinner's prayer, we're good. And we can just be as crappy a people as we want to be to everybody else. And so all of that journey in us led, you know, my wife running for office, me planting a church. And through 10 years of leading a church, I suddenly recognized, like, what's in our heart to see happen in our city can't happen in an evangelical church building. It just draws you to this norm. Now, it's just this mindset that no matter how much you try to change it, it's a really pervasive, I think the Bible calls it a principality today, we would call it groupthink or a mindset. And, and, and that along with a whole bunch of personal, you know, journey things uh, made me say, I have to step out of this thing. And on New Year's Day 2017, I was reading Letter from Birmingham Jail by Martin Luther King Jr. My wife had given me a copy of it. In fact, I have it right over my shoulder up here. And, and I read his statement about, I'm most disappointed in the white moderate. Why wouldn't the white moderate stand up for us instead of saying, oh, in the right time, it'll come about. And, and I just felt this compulsion of like, Paul, what's inside of you, you've got to start speaking it out. And, and I knew I couldn't do it in the pulpit of an evangelical church that meets in a building four Sundays a month. So long story longer, whoops, sorry to hit the microphone there. I, I, I stepped out of leadership uh, of the church and said, I'm going to start, I wrote a novel and I, a novel about what I think Jesus would say if he were incarnate in America today, what he would say to the church. And, and all of a sudden people started hearing what I was saying on social media and in this book, and they started saying, Hey, wait a second. You, you can't say that about us. Very close friends of mine. And suddenly I recognized that not only was that spirit pervasive, but it was, it was angry. And, and then when of course, Trump came along um, in the middle of all of this, it was like, hey, there's something really rotten at the core, at the root of this thing. And in the, in the Bible, Jesus said, hey, if a tree's not bearing fruit, if a fig tree's not bearing fruit, and you cut it off at the roots and you throw it into the fire. And I started seeing like this evangelicalism not only needs to be tweaked, it needs to be like trashed and start over because not only is it off, it's really hurting people. So anyway, that's a long story, Carla. I oh hope my that's goodness! What, what that's exactly what I wanted. It's fascinating, <laughs> and I know that you're uh, talking about the the tree being passed away. We I've often heard that about those of us who've left who've left the church. You said something that really uh, stuck with me when you talked about your rebellious phase when you left the church for during college, and yet you came back. And then you basically had an awareness, an awakening. I know that's a dangerous, dangerous word, but it is where you saw yourself separate from your faith journey. But what I've noticed is, so, so then you made a choice and you walked away. But what I've noticed is, is that the, the church leaders, the evangelical leaders 
compare our leaving now as if we are in that rebellious stage. Like they're, they're refusing to see this, this huge chasm that's happening because of the beliefs that right now are holding this country hostage and not allowing us to move forward in compassionate human rights and, and equity for all. And I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that before, but I'm sure if you think about those two experiences, they were quite, what led you for your rebellion and what led you to leave are, are quite two different experiences. Do you agree? Yeah, I, the, the reason I had the rebellion in college was my religion and my own parents and my dad, who was my pastor and the representation of God on earth, had told me I was going to hell, that, that my eternal soul was damned to be in the lake of fire forever. And I believed it. And I assumed that as an identity. I lived in the shame of not living up to my parents' expectation or God's. And so my response to that then was like, okay, eternity is going to be awful. So I better live life today. And so I just rejected everything that I had known and, and ran from that. The change of moving away from the evangelical church to me was more the opposite of discovering Jesus as something even more amazing than I was, had ever known, that, that God was not sitting on some throne in heaven shaming me and telling me what a horrible person I was, but rather saying, you're amazing and you can do amazing things and, and your thought processes are fantastic. And, and getting to think, like I, I just keep saying the evangelical religion encourages you not to think. And the second I started to think about what our beliefs were, I would say it's just, it's the string in the sweater and you just kind of pull on this one. And, and for me, it started with the rapture. Like, okay, is this, is this really true? And, and realizing through talking with other, you know, I'm embarrassed to say I didn't know there were believers in God that didn't believe in the rapture. Like you're so insulated in your religious belief system. And when I found out there were people that love God as much or more than me, who, who totally rejected the theory of the rapture and then explained to me that all the reasons why they didn't believe it, it was just, I pulled the, the thread in that sweater. And once I did that, all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait, what else did I learn yeah. that I don't know? And yeah. so, but it's yeah. actually this deconstruction, if we want to use that word, is something that's moving me towards, I think, a more true belief than what it was before of either I'm going to have to live in shame and try to just be enough that God will maybe let me get into heaven by the skin of my teeth to now it's like, oh, I can, I don't have to live in shame anymore. So I'm going to run to be the best version of myself and live self-sacrificially for the world around me. To me, it's a totally different mindset than, than what caused me to run the first time. Oh, that's beautifully said. You said something about uh, the toxicity of the evangelical, uh, really, beliefs, belief system. When I was going through the first stages of my deconstruction, what I called my untangling time, I, I'd never heard the uh, phrase deconstruction until I came to TikTok. So <laughs> now I guess that's what I am, a deconstructionist. But um, I remember picking up a book from John Shelby Spong, Bishop John Shelby Spong called Christianity Must Change or Die. Mm -hmm. And that title alone, I couldn't say it. I hid the book. I didn't want people to know I was reading it. And not even in my inner circle, because the, the title broke my heart. And it wasn't until I had reconciled more about my own healing and my own journey that I realized it's true. 
it's true that it, it's, there's a, there is a falling away of people that's been happening for 80 years. So that can't be denied that people are moving away from the church, but also having a belief system that is found that, that, that is a predicate on the fact that people have to be suppressed or oppressed, that certain beliefs have to stay contextualized as if they happened thousands of years ago. And just that is, that is where they're going to stake their flag and they aren't going to move from that. Has that been your experience as well that with, with, within conversations that you may have had with evangelicals lately? <laughs> yeah, just, just today on TikTok as a matter of fact. Um, yes, it's a totally, it, it is a totally insular society that, that uses circular cognitive dissonance to, to reprove itself over again. And, and if anybody comes against it, uh, they have to be crucified. Um, but the, the toxicity of it as a, as a kid is my parents are, are wonderful people. And if you knew them to, today, they're still alive, you would love them. Um, but they had to save us from going to hell. And so everything about the discipline of me and my two brothers in our life was predicated on this idea of you are born sinful, you are born evil, and you have to be corrected to understand how God wants you to live. So everything, everything in our life, and we were in the assemblies of God. So like having long hair was a sin, going to movies was a sin, all of the things you want to do as a kid, dancing was a sin. I mean, dancing was almost more of a sin than having sex was having a sin, you know? <laughs> And so there were just rules upon rules upon rules. And, and again, it's the shame. It's, mm -hmm. it's not even about the rules or the punishment. It's the shame that you just believe this idea that I am bad and that the creator of the universe who made me says I'm bad when in fact it says right in the Bible, he said, it is good and you're fearfully and wonderfully made and all these incredible things about us. But it was all this focus on how bad I was and how bad you are as a kid. And, and so just that, that in and of itself, this idea that, that God is angry at you and you're born into this original sin that you had nothing to do with whatsoever. But until you fix it, you're doomed for this terrible, terrible eternity, I think just has put so much horrible stuff onto the boomers and the Gen Xers that that then we tried to transfer onto others, but I'm but I'm feeling like that's being broken in this generation, oh, and so I'm I'm really absolutely. happy about that and excited see, about that. Yeah, I see a different I see a different um, awareness with Gen Zers especially, and uh, yeah. they're they're very much independent thinkers. You you say something during your at the intro of your podcast about God not being mad at you, and it's said with such conviction because I think all, all of us that came from that kind of fear based everything that we did was to not anger a vengeful God. Tell me tell me why that that's like a that's like your platform base. Tell me why I, I'm going to tell you I agree with it. And I love it, but tell me what it says to you and why you chose that for your, your listeners. Yeah. I, I mean, the basic of it is I don't think we can do great things if we're, if, if our platform is built on shame. And I actually think uh, I, I, a lot of times when I speak at places, I will say, who knows John three sixteen, and everybody knows John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Beautiful, wonderful. And then I ask, well, how many of you know what John three seventeen says? 
very few people know John 3.17. And John 3.17 says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him, the world would be sozoed back to God. So we, we, we translate that word would be saved and saved in the evangelical mind means say a sinner's prayer and be converted to the Christian religion. But the Greek word sozo very closely aligned with the Hebrew word shalom, actually means wholeness. It means to be restored body, mind, and soul. That Jesus didn't come to create the religion of Christianity. He came to say this old religion that tells you you're bad and you have to do all these formalities to get in God's good graces was never God's idea in the first place. That was human ideas. And that he came to reconcile that the message of Jesus, and, and by the way, whether you believe the divinity, virgin birth, death, resurrection, any of those things, I still think the story is amazing to think of the idea of a, of a man walking around saying, hey, all of you who think you have to slaughter a lamb to be okay with God, I'm telling you, you get to go straight to that creator and be that creator's friend and in that creator's presence. And you're not going to be fried, but you're actually, you get to commune with that divine spirit and it's going to make something great happen out of you. I think that's the story of Jesus and it got corrupted in a whole lot of other ways. Mm -hmm. So I think if I can connect people and I hear it all the time in DMs, you know, direct messages on TikTok, I, I, I'm, I'm seeing the Bible differently, but but I'm still afraid of going to hell. I'm still afraid God's, God's going to be upset if I don't believe this and this and this. And so just being able to tell people, no, no, that's not the God I know. That's not the character of the guy Jesus was representing. Um, so you can believe that way, even if, even if you don't believe God's a guy, even if you believe God's just a creative force or, or a loving force or non-binary, which he is, by the way. And, and see, look at me. I call God him just because it's such a traditional it's, thing and I can't get around it. I get it. Um, so anyway, I, I don't even remember what the question no, is. Hardly, but I guess I, well, that's, that's why God is not mad at you. And if you know that, you can do amazing things out of your heart. It's so easy to swirl around the question and allow whatever shows up, especially for pastors. You start one way down <laughs> and I get on a soapbox and I'll be like, wait, did I answer your question? I, I know. Did or not. So just tell me to shut up and stop. Oh, gosh, no, I'm not. I, I won't. But I do have I do have another uh, path I'd like to take us. Uh, and I'm going to be very respectful. But one of the things that I would say, because my, my, my experience is very similar to yours, but I did uh, mine was through study. So I ended up uh, studying biblical studies at a Bible college when I left church, but I was like, wait a minute, I already know this. So I left and went to uh, Arizona state university where I studied uh, world religions and the first class, first entry level class. Uh, and, and I want to say this, but it, to me, it, it's, I always worry that this will offend somebody, but um, it's the best way for me to describe it. When I, that is when I lost my uh, Jesus Santa Claus. And I, what I mean by that is when you're nine or 10 or 11, and I hope I don't disappoint anybody here, but you lose that, you can't ever unforget. You can't forget what you now know. Mm. And the, the innocence of your childhood, where you, that magical mystery part of your life will forever be changed. And I literally fell in my hallway down when I read, I, but I knew it. I was looking for this information. I was pointing it towards, I, I turned away from biblical studies to go towards world religions and see it in the high, bigger context of humanity. And that's when I lost it. But 
only and then they did to completely reject the relationship at all i couldn't even say the name god i couldn't i didn't want anything to do with jesus only to be reconciled like you said earlier with a, a different and a deeper understanding are can you share if you are you comfortable sharing what or who how do you define god because in in my tradition i think it's the same as yours was very actionable very masculine patriarchal entrenched very much in your life that can zap you for something you you said you thought you drank you ate you know whatever you did was able to instantly you suffer the repercussions how how has your definition of god or g even jesus changed for you now wow that's it's it's such a big question. If it's too big, don't no, no. you have to share personally. <laughs> I'm happy to share anything. I, I'm pretty raw and open on my my stuff. It's it's honestly, if I if I gave you the short answer, the answer would be I don't know what God is. I, I honestly do not know. I think that's the perfect point. answer. I do too. Isn't it right? <laughs> yes. I mean, uh, is he, he he again? I mean, yes. God is unknowable. Yeah. It's a mystery. It's it's. And, and so, and, but, but my poor wife is, you know, is kind of riding along in this journey with me. And sometimes she'll be like, I miss Jesus, you know, I, I, it, meaning she, she misses that, that religious Santa Claus that she used to know. And, and I get that. And that's, that's something we're wrestling with a little bit. Like what does, so what does prayer look like? What does do all these things? But I guess I would explain where I've come to land. I, I think the Bible is a really wonderful human attempt to explain what God is by an ancient group of people in the first, you know, well be before the first century. Um, and and is, is a wonderful th thing of how does the divine interact with humanity? But then, you know, one of the big things for me in all of this was just when I learned how the canon was put together for the Protestant church, the canon of the Bible, how we got the 66 books that we know, I think I have one back there, how that came together and, and how messy it was. Like, I thought it had just floated down from heaven, you know? And, and when I learned how messy it was in humanity putting that canon together, then I started to see like, oh, maybe the description of God as a God that wants us to bash babies' heads against the rocks is a human view and not a true view of what the divine spirit that's over the universe is. And, and that gave me a lot of freedom to, to start to mm. explore who God is. So I would say for me right now, I, I just think that I, I was on an atheist podcast a while back and, and all I could say to, to him was, there's something bigger than the universe. Mm. Our, our universe is expanding. So what's the container that it's expanding into? Whatever that is, is out there. And if I can know what that is, and if it's like an interactive being or life force, I want to know it. But I, so to me, I kind of think like God is, is whatever that container of the universe is, but it is, a, but is a spirit that's interactive with mine. And that actually my spirit is somehow a part of that. And so yeah. that's a really esoteric, weird oh. sounding thing. But the, so here, the, the evangelical belief is when I die, my soul leaves this container, this finite container of the body and becomes this eternal soul. And my question always was, how does something finite and time constricted become eternal? Like, if you are eternal, you are inherently eternal. That means <laughs> you, you've always been. And, and so, I don't know, Carla, that God is something that I'm a part of and have always been a part of. 
for whatever purpose, I came into this space of finite time and finite body. I may have even learned some of this from you now that I'm saying it. I may be stealing some of your stuff. Oh, no. Uh, and, and, and so there's still this eternal spirit in me that's crying out saying, I want to be connected to the eternal of me. And the Bible says we're, we're seated with him in heavenly realms. So it, it even hints that this idea of like, I'm here and in heaven at the same time. So God is this overarching spirit over the whole thing. And I'm somehow a part of the collective whole of it. And I think you are, and my wife is, and, and we're all some part of some big whole that we see at WHOLE, that we see as God and interact with it as a being. And so really that's, that's where I am, as well as my... Otherwise, I have no idea what God is to me. Well, to me, that's an absolutely perfect answer because uh, my heritage would tell you that it's very concrete, this, this very de strictly defined definition of God. And so I always will, yeah, and I loved your, your explanation and you gave it if, it, if some of it came from me, you were able to expand it into words that I will now use as well, but um because it's all for the good of the whole. Yeah. But one of the things I also say is if anybody tells you without a shadow of a doubt that they know what it is, run, yeah. run, because that's not spirituality. And, you know, I think that one of the things that also not, of course, you always have to put the asterisks by, because I'm going to get somebody say not all Christians, which I addressed today in a video, but I, you know, what religion, I think what we don't even know until we were on the other side of this, and we're out here in this spiritual wilderness trying to figure out like, we know we don't want that, but we don't know where we're going, is that religion sometimes puts the construct in place before you actually know what it means to have to be spiritual. Mm -hmm. And so even when you come out here, you start to look for the how to's the guru, someone to help you 10 steps to be spiritual, those kinds of things that might get you a lot of hits on Pinterest, but really have very little relevance on how you're going to uh, expand and connect with whatever this unknown, undescribable, really undefinable spirituality. We're doing our best. And, and it, what I know now will not be what I, I know a month from now and five years from now, it's, it's going to continue to change. And that's also different than what we see than what we see in religion. Yeah. I often will have people, if you notice my question was, was almost like what they call essay questions, because those are the best kind. What I, what I will not answer when someone asks me, I will not answer. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in God? Like you're already telling me how you're defining your belief and giving me a very limited perimeter on how I can answer that question. And I refuse right. to do it because it's a trick. We've seen those before. And so I really- And Jesus do. never answered those questions in the writings of the gospel. <laughs> there you go. So, <laughs> so, so we are in good, we are in good company in that way. Yeah. Do you- and, and you know, I mean, it was, I think every, when the, when the biblical principle of God was written, every group of people was describing God in their context, a God that they could use to defeat their enemies. And so you have this Bedouin people, the Hebrews, and they defined God in the same way. But the beautiful thing of their story was, was their God, even in the midst of all the messiness of it all, was saying, but I want to be a God for everybody. I want you guys to understand that I want you to bring me to all the world on all flesh. And, and, and I think they had a hard time understanding that as human beings. But to me, that's, 
that's the story. So you're talking about a book that impacted you. And I'm sorry, I know you were going to go to another question. No, 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 that's okay. I, a great book I recommend for people all the time is, is Searching for Sunday by Rachel Held Evans. Have you read that book? Uh, and I just recommended it this morning in my oh, you did. live. Yeah. It's so good. But just her telling the story of having dinner with the Muslim woman and saying, did I just hit the jackpot? I just happened to be born in just the right town to just the right family in just the right religion, the exact and only right religion in the world. Or is God bigger? than the container into which I was born. And I just think God has to be bigger than that. And that is ultimately to me, the story of the, of the Jewish to Christian Bible is a God that's saying, I wanna be the God for everyone. And I wanna draw all flesh to me. That's the ultimate story of what we're reading. So God is not mad at you, he says, my God doesn't pick me over you. My God picks us all together and says, now, now collectively learn how to live together and exist together and work for the common good, because that's where goodness begins to show itself in humanity. And mm. it's just a better story than what yes. I learned growing up. Yes, uh, that's beautiful. And I'm going to link a, I'll link that uh, book in the show notes so people can remember that in case they can't find it. And a while ago, when you talked about your wife missing Jesus, there's times where people will reach out and say, uh, I just, I just miss the, the community. And I understand that. But I also ask them to hold, hold on. I know many people who decided, you know what, I'm just going to go back. I'm going to fake it because it's too lonely out here. But one book that might speak to people who are going through that right now is Resurrecting Jesus by Adyashanti. I, re I recommend that quite a bit because I think it allows us to see the mystical side of Jesus's teaching that your your wife might fall back in love with as as well. Um, what I, I have a lot of people who and by the way, thank you all for being so patient as I try to work through my DMs. But oh my, <laughs> there's there's hundreds there and. I How many followers are you at now, by the way? You know, I, uh, uh, I think it's 471, 471,000. That's so awesome. And That's thank amazing. You, thank you. And so, and I'm very grateful for, for every, for every one of them. And, uh, and I have a theme that come, that shows up in the, in the pain points from the people that, that follow, that follow me. And I wondered what are, what are your, what are your followers pain points? What, what is a, a common theme that you see people asking you questions about? You mentioned well, the fear of hell. Are there others? I, you know, I think for all of us, the LGBTQI plus yeah. issues are, are, are probably number one. Those, those are probably the thing I'm asked more often than anything is, am I bad for being gay? Mm -hmm. um, or do I do I have to tell gay people they're going to hell? And so I, I really, that's, uh, that's gotta be infinitely what I hear more than anything mm -hmm. else. Um, so those are, those are real pain points. Um, and, and so the question that that always ties back to then is like, so how do I understand the Bible? What, what do I do with the Bible? Do, am I just throwing out the Bible? And, and, and so the second pain point is, that losing Jesus thing, but it's not only losing Jesus, it's like my community, I've lost my community. My community has become so Trump infatuated that I, I, it feels toxic to me, but I'm going to lose everything. I, this is my whole 
strata of, of human interaction and how am I going, where am I going to find it? I mean, if the church does nothing else, it provides a place where we get together with other human beings at least once a week, if not more. And, and so people are just like, how do I, what do I do when I've lost that community? And so we do like a Sunday morning, Sunday community online thing for people and try to find that, provide that space. And we take communion together. But I think that's what people are really afraid of mm-hmm. is I can't be a part of this anymore because it's too painful. But, but where am I going to go for community and human interaction and particularly around faith? Like how I can go to the Rotary Club or I can go to a Tuesday book club, but where am I going to find that community of faith out there? So those are the things that I hear most often. And I really believe that we'll start to see that more will, more will come, not just in a digital, we'll, we'll start to see what I think are redefining church, redescribing, you know, so it has a new meaning or they're, they're given new names like spiritual centers and, and things like that. I want, I want to give you the chance to preach a little bit here. Uh oh! Look uh, out! I know, right? Uh, which so I'll time you. I'll, I'll keep it. I'll try to keep it underneath an hour. But <laughs> I the the thing about well, we talked about the rapture and and end times prophecy, but also uh, and I'm all I'm, I've I've tried to be very careful when I'm talking to people because I a lot of times I don't want to be the person to tell them that if they talk to me about going to about going to hell so i always turn it back on me to say i no longer believe in the literal interpretation of hell from my religious heritage if they want to come back and be like wait what then i'll enter into a conversation with them but our followers i think for the most part are here to learn and they're open their hearts are open their minds are ready to receive so could you talk a little bit now about your where do you think hell, this whole concept of hell came from? And I think you and I are on the same plat, but where, where are you now with that? Yeah. So I, I think if you, if you use the Bible as sort of a foundation for your beliefs, you can make a case for an eternal damnation fireplace. You can make a case that souls are going to be thrown into a lake of fire and then they will cease to exist. It won't be eternal. There'll just be annihilation. You'll, you'll disappear. Um, I believe then ultimately there's a case to be made. And, and Rob Bell's Love Wins was a book that was very impactful for me in, in sort of this idea of, of there's going to be opportunity for reconciliation after death. Um, I, I think I've kind of found a fourth space for myself. Um, one of the things I say is fire in the Bible is almost always used for purification, not for punishment. The boys in the fiery furnace had their bondages burned off. Uh, their ropes were burned off by the fire and they came out of the fire with, with unbound and, and, and they were in the fire with Jesus. They came out unbound and didn't even smell like smoke. And so to me, when Jesus is talking about being thrown into Gehenna or spending time in Sheol, I, I do think there's like an eternal justice of some sort. Uh, I, maybe I shouldn't say eternal. There is a post-death justice of some sort. And I think that's really important because if I believe me and, and the rapist and Adolf Hitler all end up at the same place, no matter what, I, that, that's not fair to victims of trauma. I, I don't think that's how the world works. So I do think Hebrews 11 and 12 talks about how these great people of faith didn't see the fulfillment of God's promise while they were alive. But their, their vision was toward a city that was built by God. And it says at the end of Hebrews 11, 
at, at that time, everything that can be shaken will be shaken, and what's of, of earth will be shaken off, and what's of heaven will remain. And then it, that chapter ends with, because God is an all-consuming fire. And then if you go to the start of Hebrews 12, and remember the chapters weren't there in the original text, we put those in later, so they actually run together. It says, therefore, because we have this great cloud of witnesses, let us press on to what we're, what we're hoping for in life. So to me, all of that says, if I'm pressing forward toward a fulfillment of a promise on earth and I die before it comes about, something of that work goes on into, into post-death eternity. There's a, there's a judgment process of a consuming fire that's going to burn off the crud and maybe that process is a little painful. Maybe that process is even like, I don't know, maybe there's even a reincarnation where God says, you're going to have to go back and live it again because you didn't learn the lessons you were supposed to the first time. I'm open to any of those things. But, but some hellish process of refinement for me because of the, the things I did that weren't in alignment with God's heart on earth. But what I did towards that common good and that, that greater divinely good purpose becomes like this that's amazing that you learned that and we're going to bring that into the whole of who we are as this eternal being together whatever heaven looks like and and then we get to turn around and look at people in the finite space of earth and we get to be this cloud of cheerleaders saying go it's so worth it it's so worth it and, and so why would i do good selfish selflessly like jesus did why would i be willing to die for people that want to put me on a cross and murder me because there's something that goes on into eternity of all of this. And even at 55, when, when my life is at least half over, uh, I hope only about half over, but at <laughs> least half over, why would I now want to be transformed and changed and do anything? Why not just you know phone it in for the rest of history? Because I'm still building towards something that's beyond all of this. And, and I really think Religion makes us divisive and you have to be like me, but that belief of some eternity where I am going to be judged for my works and what I do that's good is going to go on and what I do that's not good is going to have to be sort of burned off in this purification process starts to give me a, a framework by which I say, yes, it's worth it to sacrifice for my neighbor and my enemy and the other people around me. So that's just what I see the post-death process like is I don't believe in eternal damnation. I don't believe in annihilation of souls. I believe we're going to go through some reckoning process of what we did. We're here for some purpose to learn something that we're going to take into eternity for some purpose. And so that's kind of how I see the collection of what heaven's going to be then when we get there. Oh my, that that's beautiful. Well, well said. And it may all be wrong. And in five years, I tell you, that was the dumbest thing I ever said <laughs> in my life. Well, but that's also, I, I saw a quote, and I'm going to uh, butcher it, but I saw a quote this week from a scientist who said, the thing about science is that we form a hypothesis and we, based on the information that we know now, and we're okay when it's wrong. When we're proven wrong, we get excited because that means that we have moved towards a new level of understanding, more data, something has proven that we are moving in the right direction when we can, we can push this off and say, this is, this is no longer valid, but this is. When you're entrenched in one belief system that says you are static and you stay right here, regardless 
of, of how humanity has been evolving and moving towards a kinder and more compassionate world. And you say, I'm never wrong. I'm never a mistake. Nothing we do is, is what we believe is what we believe. And everybody else is wrong because we are the true ones and the persecuted ones. You can see the problem immediately if we're not willing to say, this is what I know now. And, th and this is where I'm, I'm headed. One last thing for you, Pastor Paul, if you had, if you had uh, whatever is on your heart, what's pressing on your heart. One of my dear friends told me when I was considering my calling and, and the same way, I'm going to be 60 years old this year. And I often thought, man, I, I could just sit at home and crochet, take care of my grandkids, walk my dogs and I'd have the best looking gardens in my city. So instead I'm, I'm doing this and I'm not even sure what I'm, what I'm having for supper tonight. But she said to me, Carla, move towards that, which breaks your heart and you'll mm -hmm. never go wrong. And as much as it's not my gardens that need to be weeded, it was what is the work I'm doing now. Do, what's your dream? What, what breaks your heart? And what, what do you want when you're done with this work? What would you like to have seen your contribution be? Well, that's such a great question. Um, you're really good at this, Carla. You told me you weren't good at this part <laughs> podcasting thing, and you're really good at it. Oh, that's my great. goodness. Thank you. You brought, um, out, you brought out another side of me. <laughs> my, my content creation company that I have is called Permission to Speak. Um, I just, I want to give people permission. I, I talked about that, that pulling the string from the sweater. One of the things that was always a disconnect for me in religion from even my, my youngest childhood days was I, I love people. I had something in me that loved people. And I was in this religious system that loved people who agreed with us and passionately hated those that didn't. I, my family had some weird hatred of John Lennon. I don't know why, but you know, I think it's because once he said we're bigger than Jesus or something like that, you know. Imagine and, also turned a lot of the uh, right. evangelicals away from him. But yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's true. But and and I watched John Lennon and and as a kid, I used to think like he seems pretty happy. Now I know he's going to hell and he's gonna burn for all eternity, but but he seems pretty happy. And and we don't seem happy. And he and he seems like he loves people even like the Soviet Union, he loves them. And we don't love anybody. And there was always this disconnect in me of like, I kind of wish I could be happy and love people too. And I, I see the people that comment on the, you know, the evangelicals who are so angry who comment on my, my TikTok page. And I just want to say, I know there is something deep inside of you that inherently wishes you could love people. And I want to give you permission to do that. And, and particularly the deconstruction, deconstructing people, I want to say, go for it. <laughs> and they'll say, I'm a little bit afraid. And I'm like, don't be afraid. Be reckless. You know, put it all on the table. Go, go crazy. So I just want to give people permission if you're looking at the LGBTQ community out there and saying, I want to love them, but I, but I see what the Bible says. I just say, for just the time being, forget the Bible and just love. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. And then you can start to work through the Bible stuff. But let love be the, the ultimate. And, and I hear people say this all the time. I'm not going to get to heaven and God's going to say, you know what? You just love those gay people. And that made me so angry. I'm so mad at you for the way you loved gay people or the way you love this person or that person. So it, it's really about permission. God is not mad at you. Is you have permission to really walk out the best of your heart 
and, and God's not going to punish you for that. Uh, and I, I really think if, if we could, any of the worst Pharisees that comment on my page could, could get connected to that, even they, like Saul of Tarsus, could be turned to something different. So that's really what I want to see at the end of all of this is people saying, as they do from time to time, you gave me permission to see the world differently. And, and that's a, an amazing, wonderful honor and privilege to do that. That is, that is so, so beautifully, beautiful, beautifully said. So Pastor Paul, tell the people how they can find you on your social media platforms. Yeah, so my website is pastor-paul.com. You got to get that dash in there. Or you're going to get some really angry Christian pastor named Paul. <laughs> pastor-paul.com. I found that. I found him on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> And the TikTok is Pastor Paul underscore TikTok. So just Pastor Paul TikTok, if you search that and uh, Pastor Paul TikTok on YouTube and, and uh, then it'll link to everything else. And like I said, if, if anybody's looking for a place of community on Sunday morning, we do an online community uh, on Zoom where we get together and it's it's not churchy, but but we do the, the spiritual practice of communion together to just have that connection of, and, and your religious beliefs are immaterial. You're welcome to do that with us. So if anybody's looking for a place to connect around faith, um, again, if they go to Pastor Paul underscore TikTok on TikTok, it's all linked in my bio there. So, And I'll be sure to put it all in the show notes as well. Ah, you're so Pass kind. Pastor Paul Swearingen, I have had such a wonderful time. I know that this has been meaningful for our listeners, this will be uh, uploaded to iTunes and Spotify. At some point, I'll let you know for sure when that happens and as well as, as YouTube. Thank you so much. I'll close out here and uh, please, please say you'll come back some other time and be a part of our community here. Anytime, anything for you, Carla, for Thank sure. Thank you. Okay, beloveds, I'm honored to be in this space with you. I pray you receive something. I know I did because the teacher teaches what she needs to hear. And we had a wonderful teacher here with us today as well. And now, beloveds, go in peace and be at peace. Go in love and may you be loved. Go and know that others are on this journey with you and you are not alone. You are seen and deeply and unconditionally loved just as you are. Blessings on your week and we will see you soon. Bye for now. Thanks for listening. Be sure to like and subscribe to Spirituality Matters wherever you listen to podcasts. You can watch the uncut version of today's episode on YouTube. Be sure to like and subscribe to Rev Carla's channel for more videos. Submit questions for upcoming Q&A videos or topics of discussion to spiritualitymatters at revcarla.com. As always, follow at Rev Carla on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Pinterest for more spirituality teachings. Bye for now.